Turn with me then to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. We'll read the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 20 and pray that the Lord would give His blessing upon the reading and upon whatever comments and remarks that He would like for me to make and for you to hear. Matthew 20, verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all the day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. <clears throat> it's usually at the end of my time of study and preparation and prayer, and it's not uncommon for a title of a message to not come until driving on the way here, trying to think what is, what is the final purpose of the message that God has for his people today. And today I don't have a title. No, it never came, but I do have a statement that I want to say at the beginning that is really going to encompass all of the rest of everything I want to say to you today. And that idea is right thoughts about the kingdom of heaven and how citizens of the earth, as citizens of the earth, we need God to tell us the truth about heaven and about his kingdom. You see, we serve, on this side of eternity, we serve in a vineyard that is not ours. We serve a master who owes us nothing for a reward that we will never deserve. But that's not how we think as human beings. It's not how citizens of the earth think. It's not how those who are mindful or thoughtful of the way a normal, typical person might think about life. We think very differently about the kingdom of heaven than we ought to. And so the Lord gives us a parable here to teach us about the kingdom of heaven, a very familiar parable, one You've likely read, heard before. But this parable is set for us so that we might have a right idea about the kingdom of heaven. The parable begins with a new day. Early in the morning, verse 1 told us, the setting of this parable is the marketplace with 
laborers who are hoping to find a job, work to be done, so that they might receive a wage, so that they might be able to provide for themselves and for their families. There's a negotiation that takes place between the laborers and the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard. And after this negotiation with this first set of laborers, it is agreed to the price, to the wage, to the reward that they will be given for their day's work, and that is a denarius, which, as many might already know, was a common wage, an accepted wage for a day's worth of work at the time. But the the scene begins to change at hour 3, 6, 9, and 11. Things start to change because to this point, we understand the parable. We understand that for a day's labor, the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard, is going to pay them a day's wage. But now is when it begins to get a little bit strange. Because now the day is three hours old, six hours old, nine hours old, 11 of the 12 working hours old, and the master of the house continues to go out seeking laborers, seeking people to labor in his vineyard. And at the end of the day, in verse 8, the laborers receive the wages that they've been promised. The laborers are surprised at the end of the day to find their wages equal regardless of their length of service. And of course, that is where much of the confusion lies, is how can this be fair? That word we like to throw around a lot today. Politically, that word is used as a, as a battering ram for different agendas of policy. But these laborers are surprised at the end of the day to find out that every one of them, whether they labored for 12 hours or for one, were given a denarius. In verses 13 through 15, the master of the house defends his decision and defends his position and rightly tells them that they were thinking wrongly about the whole situation. And I want to tell you today, I, I think it's, very, it's really easy for us when we do not have a heavenly mindset, a mindset that has been informed by God, His Word, about the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's easy for us to get the wrong idea about what it is to serve the Lord in His kingdom. We apply earthly logic, earthly assumptions to the kingdom of heaven, and we go astray when we do that. And the master of the house in verses 13 through 15 educates, informs, and tells these people why and how they were thinking wrongly about this whole scene. In verse 16, he, he begins with this word, so. So, for this reason, here's the meaning, Jesus says. Here's the point that I'm trying to make in this parable. So the first will be last and the last will be first. We need to understand before we begin to look closer at this passage, the context of this parable, and we need to understand specifically that the context goes back to chapter 19. It's very dangerous to take chapter 20 and take it and isolate it and pull it out and look too closely at it without first understanding what chapter 19 said, because chapter 20 is a parable explaining what happened in chapter 19. And in chapter 19, we have that very well-known story, that account of the young man who came to Christ and asked him and said in Matthew 19, 20, uh, verse 16, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? That begins the context of this parable that we read this morning and have just looked over and very briefly set the components and the pieces of that parable before you. This is what begins that. This is what, be trans this is what starts this whole process. Because you recall in verse 1 of chapter 20, it begins with the word for the kingdom of heaven. And so we know that it refers right back to chapter 19. And what began this process seems to be this young man who comes to the Lord and he says, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And we know the interchange that took place between the Lord and this young man. 
The Lord says, first, we'll keep the commandments. And the young man says, I've done that. What lack I yet? And Jesus answers the question in verse 21 of chapter 19. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect. So it seems then that in order to inherit eternal life, it requires perfection. If you would be perfect, this is what you must do. Sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And we know the sad conclusion of that story. The young man went away sorrowful. Jesus was sorrowful as he went away, making his choice and his determination. I choose this world and this temporary life rather than eternal life because the price is too high. The cost is too much. Because in order for you to find the Lord, the Bible's very clear to us. The scriptures are plain on this point. We must forsake ourselves and follow Christ. Forsake ourselves and follow Christ. Let go of all that is ours and follow Christ. Well, Peter, as he is good to do for us, he says what's on our minds that maybe we would be unwilling to say out loud. Peter's that guy. He'll say it for us. We're just waiting. Peter's going to ask. And he does in verse 27. Because Peter begins to think and the disciples, because Jesus had just said, the man has walked away. He has chosen his life here. He has rejected Christ. He has turned from him. He now has his reward here that is temporary, earthly, uncertain. And he walks away and Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And the disciples say, then who can be saved? And he says, with man it's impossible, with God all things are possible. And then Peter asks the question, Lord, verse 27 of chapter 19, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What will we have? What is our reward? For forsaking all and following you, we've left our boats, we've left our fishing nets, we've left our livelihoods, we've left everything that was our life before we met you. What are we going to receive? Jesus tells them that you will receive all and more. Truly I say to you, Jesus says in verses 28 through 30, I say to you again, these verses immediately preceding this parable, in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My name's sake will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then he goes right in, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house. And he tells us this parable. He gives us this understanding at the beginning of this of this chapter, he's now explaining what he means and how to think rightly about the kingdom of heaven. The Lord uses this parable to help Peter and his disciples and you and me so that we can understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Because the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdom of the earth. There are similarities that can be used, and the Lord does so here with this parable, that we can then understand, and in its context, we can begin to see what Jesus is trying to teach us. So let us today then learn the lesson of this parable of what it means to serve, to live, to work in the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he begins... As we have said, this agreement, he goes out early in the day. He goes out early in the day to call laborers to his vineyard, to give them the opportunity to serve him in his field, in his vineyard. And they come together and there is an agreement that is made. 
There is this agreed upon wage between the master of the house and the laborers. There's no duplicity here. There's no dishonesty. At the end of the story, we know that these that came first are going to think that they have been treated wrongly. But at the beginning, they agree upon the wage. Again, when the day was finished, the master of the house did nothing less than what he agreed to do. And by the way, I think we can probably safely assume in this story that the master of the house in this situation would likely have also given them an understanding of the work that was involved. Saying, this is the wage that I'm going to give you. We agreed for a denarius a day. I want you to go into my vineyard. I don't want you just standing there. I don't want you just sitting there in my vineyard. I'm not going to pay you for simply sitting in my vineyard. I need you. I want you. I'm giving you the opportunity to earn this wage that I'm going to give you. And I know we're on dangerous ground in our minds if we think about this in relation to salvation. But I think we can untangle ourselves from that difficulty if you'll hold on with me for a little while. The master of the house no doubt told them of the difficulties they would face, how it gets hot in the heat of the day. The laborers will end up again feeling as though they were treated unfairly, but they were treated exactly the way they were told they would be treated. They received exactly what they were told they were to receive. So too, for you and me, and anyone who is laboring in the Lord's vineyard. We will receive precisely what He has promised us. We can be sure of it. We are told the price for the wage. We are told what it will take. We are told, are we not, by the Lord Himself, that the gate is narrow and the way is hard and difficult? That the path of life for the child of God is a path of, of struggle at times and difficulty, always with the blessing of the Lord's presence if we are, avail ourselves to Him. But the kingdom of heaven is like this, Jesus says. I will come to you, I will call to you, and I will ask you to forsake all that you have and come and follow me. That is the price that you must pay because that is the price I paid and a price that I paid far beyond any price you will ever pay. And then we are told what our reward, what our wage will be. And our reward... As I said at the beginning, we labor for a reward that we could never deserve. Our reward is eternal life in heaven with Christ and his people. That's our reward. That's our denarius. That's what Jesus has said, I am going to pay you with. But it's amazing that sometimes we can begin to think God owes us something more, something greater than that. We must be careful not to arrive here as we look at this, at the position, as we said a moment ago, that salvation is by works. It is not. The scriptures could not be more plain on this point if it were were not for the master's house, if it were not for him, if it were not for the master of the house, there would be no vineyard, no labor, and no wage. If it were not for him, there would be no vineyard, there would be no labor, and there would be no wage. It is not the laborer who who has the vineyard. It is not his vineyard. It is not yours and it is not mine. This life that we have been given is not mine. It has been bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and that is his and my opportunity is to respond to him and forsake all and follow him and I will receive the reward that I have been promised. It is sure, it is certain as I set my hand to the task that God gives me in my life I don't have to worry or be concerned or think for a moment that the master of the house, the master of the kingdom of heaven is going to withdraw from me the reward he has promised to me that is sure, that is steadfast. 
But as I look at him and I understand that it is all of grace, I must come to him and repent and believe. But I wouldn't even have that opportunity if it were not for him giving it to me. So this is all grace through and through. Every breath, every every period of the end of a sentence explaining the gospel message is grace. It is not merit. It is grace. And salvation is by grace, but there is this agreement, this exchange that takes place at the beginning of the day when it all starts for you is when the master of the house comes to you and says, I have a place for you. Come and labor in my vineyard. And so many balk at that point. They stop and they hesitate, unwilling to let go of their own plans, unwilling to to see that they have a great need of this wage that is promised through this labor and this vineyard that the Lord is providing to them. And they go on their way as the young man did, sorrowful. I pray that is not you. I pray that's not you. One who walks away from the Lord sorrowful. I pray you are one who goes to him and bows in repentance and faith and finds joy and peace and rest. So these first laborers came at the beginning of the day, the 12 hours of the working day in front of them. They agree to this wage. And, and then we find in verses 3 through 5, that, there, that the, the master of the house goes back out to the marketplace and he finds others standing there idly, still looking evidently for work, for a wage. There's no specific wage, by the way, that's agreed upon here, if you look closely at the passage. Verses 3 through 5, he doesn't say, I'm going to pay you a denarius, does he? He says, I'm going to pay you what is right. I will pay you what's right. What's right by whose definition is the question. And this is when the earthly mind comes at odds with the heavenly mind. There was likely, no doubt in the story, as we would think about how people would look and and think about this situation, there likely was an anticipation in their mind and in the minds of other servants even, those who were there from the beginning of the day, can't you imagine that in their minds they, were, they would have just almost automatically assumed, well, they're not going to get a full denarius. They're going to get three-fourths of a denarius. Because they missed the first three hours of the day, and there's 12 hours in this day. They're certainly not going to get it. The master of the house said he was going to give them what's right, and, and we know what's right, don't we? We think we do. We think we do because we forget none of it's ours. We forget the vineyard is not ours. The labor is not ours. The reward is not ours. All of these things are the possession and the property and the ownership of the master of the house, not the laborer. But in their minds, they're thinking that, no doubt. Well, the, and I wonder in this story, as I try to put myself in it, and it is a parable. So it didn't, it's not accounting, it's not um, giving us something that actually happened, but it is a parable. And in this parable, if we put ourselves into the story, we can just almost imagine that this is the way these people are thinking, making these assumptions of what the, what is right from the master of the house to us as laborers. We begin to think that we deserve more than others deserve. Because after all, we've been here far longer. And that's what they're going to say. But in the moment, in the heat of the day, as they were working and laboring, no doubt these assumptions were made. And I want you to take this with you. The assumptions of a fallen mind are often things that should never be assumed. The assumptions of a fallen mind are assumptions that should never be assumed. We assume a lot of things that simply because we are fallen human beings are not true. 
What is, what's the assumption these people are making? The assumptions they're making is that the master of the house is interested in fairness. Very careful there. That's an assumption that's dangerous. He's not. And thanks be to God, he is not. As we'll look a little more in a moment, these assumptions of a fallen mind, typically, they think they are owed more than they're actually owed. These laborers owned nothing, were not even owed the opportunity to work, yet they believed the master of the house owed them something beyond what he had already promised them. A denarius. Don't owe you any more. Going out, it didn't finish there. We know going out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour even. He did the same. The pattern repeats itself. The day's half spent at hour six. It's three-fourths spent at hour nine. But there appears to be plenty of work that the master of the house would like to see done. And so he goes back out these next two times again. And he basically says the same thing because it says to us he did the same with them, referring back to what was agreed to with those who came at hour three. I'm going to give you what's right. And then we move to verse 6 and 11. And we find probably the most incredible component of this. It's even at the late hour of the 11th, hour. He goes out and he asks those standing there, why do you stand here idle all the day? Day's nearly gone. It's the 11th hour. No doubt the laborers had nearly given up hope. Don't you think? They were standing there. They evidently weren't there at hour nine, don't know where they were, but here they were, the day's nearly gone. No doubt the laborers, as I've said, were likely already giving up hope of finding any employment and thus any wage for that day. Another hungry night for them and their family. No wage today. Didn't find any work. It's the 11th hour And they're there in desperation, perhaps. Maybe. I heard that there was this one master of the house who came by at hour three and six and nine. Perhaps he'll yet come again. Maybe he'll come one more time. Consider their despair, though. Consider then as well the kindness of the master of the house. He knew he was only going to get one hour's worth of labor out of these people. He knew that. This is how the kingdom of heaven is. That's what Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he tells us this this parable. In this parable, the master of the house knew he was going to get only one hour's worth of work out of these who he is hiring at the 11th hour. But what else does he know? He's going to pay him a denarius. It's going to cost him the same. He is going to pay the same price to these who came at the 11th hour as he paid to those who came at the first and at the early and at the first hour of the day. Why would he do such a thing? Why would God do that? Why would God come to you at the 11th hour of your life? Because I believe in some respects, that's what this day represents. Why would he come at the 11th hour and pay the same price for you as he did for those who've been there all the while? Because he loves you just the same. He loves you just as much. And Jesus paid the same price on the cross of Calvary for absolutely everyone who is going to step one foot into heaven's gates. And it is not going to matter how much and how long and how difficult the labor was in the vineyard. It's all about the price that Jesus paid on the cross. One denarius for you. You've earned nothing more and nothing less. 
With Christ, he died on the cross and he paid that same price for those who will labor for him their entire lives and those who will only labor a short time from the fleeting witness of the thief on the cross to the decades-long service of the apostle John. The price was the same for their eternal soul, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We don't think that way. As we've even heard uh, at times in church, and those that testify, those who don't come to church might say and look and go, well, you guys just think you're such good people. No, not, not when a church thinks rightly about themselves. We realize just how little we are and how much we owe, not how much we are owed. That's the Christian mindset that is disappearing in our land. What does God owe me? This one came and he's been saved and he knows the Lord, but he hasn't had to have the trouble that I've had. He hasn't lived and and worked through the scorching heat of the sun. This is wrong thinking. This is earthly minded thinking. And so Jesus says, let's not think that way. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. I paid the same price for all of you. And none of you deserve the wage that I'm giving you. None of you can merit that. This 11th hour, I thought too, there, there likely perhaps as we can extrapolate this story, many reasons, both good and bad, for why these laborers had not been present at the beginning of the day or at the hour three, six, or nine. Maybe they were physically prevented. Maybe they just could not literally be there. Something happened. Through circumstances they did not control, perhaps they were unable to be present. Or maybe they were just lazy. Just lazy, but then realizing their error as their stomachs began to remind them of their need of food and their, then their need of a wage, their need of finding work. They go, even though the odds seem slim at best. Maybe they thought they had found work elsewhere that didn't come through. Maybe that's how people are today still. Maybe some just lazy, apathetic, disinterested in the real deep part of who they are and dismissive of the need to find God. Lying in their beds and lying in this world as they think in their ease. And sometimes, by the way, I think the worst thing you can do for somebody is make things easier for them when it needs to be harder so that they might reach out to God and realize that they cannot see to their need, but He can. There's a master of the house who owns a vineyard, and if He'll have me, I'll go work for Him. Maybe, maybe though, people think at times that they've found meaningful work elsewhere. Something else to put their life at. A job. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? Careers climb the ladder but then they realize that at the conclusion of all of that there's no wage at all there's no reward at all just condemnation and separation I want to tell you if if the Lord's working on you and you feel like it's the 11th hour? Good news of the gospel is he comes at the 11th hour. And I cannot say this strongly enough. Better late than never. Better late than never. Because you're going to receive a reward that No doubt even in your mind you can't anticipate. This is how we ought to come to God, by the way, is when I come to you, I don't deserve anything you have to give me. I'm not going through religious hoops and satisfying religious exercises so that I can have an assurance of heaven primarily. I'm coming here because I want to serve you. And I know that you've promised me a reward. I, I can't even begin to put my mind around that, Lord. But if, if you'll just allow me to serve you, that's what I want to do. 
I want to answer yes where the rich young man answered no. I want to say yes. You can have it all. I want to follow you. Because evening came in verse 8. All of this is going to come to a conclusion. And it begins to come to the conclusion here in verse 8. The, the master of the house says to his foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wage. And I don't want you to miss that. Their wage. Yes, it's all going to be equal. But each one of them is going to have their individual denarius to receive from Christ. Their wage, I'm not going to receive yours and you're not going to receive mine. I can't give you mine and you can't give me yours. But Christ, the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard, has all of the world's riches, the cattle on a thousand hills. He has a denarius for you. He has a place for you. If you will come to him and repent and believe and go into his vineyard and follow him and serve him. And at the end of this, it all comes to this conclusion and there is an end to the labor. There is an end of the heat of the day. An end to, to what of the day that might at times have seemed so far away, but the time for settling, settling the accounts between the master of the house and the laborer draws ever nearer. With every swing of the blade and every shovel of dirt, every trimming of a branch, these laborers were drawing inevitably closer and closer and nearer and nearer to the reckoning with the master. Every breath you take into your lungs, every single one of them, hear me, every breath you bring into your lungs, you'll do it once and you'll never bring that air back into your lungs again. And then there's going to be a day where your chest inflates and your lungs inflate with air one last time. And then it's time to meet the master of the vineyard. It's time for the reckoning, the accounts to be settled. And the foreman comes and he told them and he did exactly what he was told to do, pay them their wages. The wages they had agreed to. As we know, the first had agreed to a denarius. This was a fair wage, a normal day's wage, as we've said. But here's where everything starts to change. This is the moment of reckoning when it comes and what transpires at this point is not what any of them were expecting. Those that came at hour 3, 6, 9, and even 11, I wonder... I wonder if any point in the day, if you put yourself in that story, if you were one who had come like that, I wonder if you'd think, well, I'm, I'm not going to get what these others have gotten. I, I'm, I can't be what these who are already serving God. Look, look at them. They've been here all day. The Lord surely loves them more. The Lord surely owes them more. Let me tell you this, particularly if you're lost. The Lord does not owe us that he has saved any more than he owes you. Nothing. But he offers us all the opportunity to know him and to follow him. We're not better. We're not greater in the eyes of God. And so he makes us and places us in his vineyard. And you're out there wondering about this place. He comes and he says, why do you stand here idle? Why? I've got work for you to do. I have a purpose for you to put yourself to. And then I have a reward to give you that goes beyond anything that you can imagine. So this, transp this as it transpires and they, they're given their wages. Verse 9, when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received the denarius. Unimaginable surprise. It, it must have been. The hearers of this parable 
Those listening to Jesus on this day, they would have known again about this. It's a denarius is a day's wage. That makes sense. That's the going rate in the market. They surely must have thought again that these that had come later, who, by the way, received their wages first, the first, last, and the last first. Surely they would have thought they were going to receive less, yet they received what was promised, which was what is right. I'm going to give you what's right. Right according to whom? the master of the house, not the laborers. That is a key principle of being heavenly minded. To always remember what is right is defined and determined by the owner of the house, the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard. He sets what's right. I don't. It's his vineyard. It's his work. It's his to do with as he will. And that's what he begins to say to them after they complain in verses 10 through 12. Coming to him and saying, as you can imagine in your mind, right, as as these that were there on hour 12 those that came up with one hour, they'd been in the field for one hour and they watched that foreman place a denarius in their hand. And maybe in a moment or just a brief little while, they go, wow, I'm going to get 12 denarius. These that served one hour got a denarius. I served 12 hours. To me, that means I get 12 of them, right? Somehow we begin to think, as God's people, that he owes us more than eternal life in heaven. The first will be last and the last will be first. It was, it's like him saying the first will be as the last and the last will be as the first. This is all grace from the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard. Their, their wrong thinking is apparent here in verses 10 through 12. But though it was wrong, it surely didn't feel wrong to them. Though it was wrong, it surely, didn't, it surely made perfect sense to them. And their indignation, they grumbled, it says, at the master of the house. But here is where the master of the house ends all debate. Friend, I am doing you no wrong, he says in verse 13. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And here's the arrow right in between the eyes. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? The laborers knew from the very beginning of the story the pay that they would receive when they entered the field, the vineyard, to work. At that point, it's apparent that they were more than happy to agree to the wage, likely pleased, excited even, relieved to have found work for the day and the wage that came along with it. When we get saved, we're, we're beside ourselves with joy, aren't we? Just so happy, so pleased, forgiven, blessed with the presence of God in our heart. And we, at that moment, we're just full of joy for For what we receive, we are willing to labor for as long as it takes. Are we not in that moment? Whatever life might bring, Father, I will face it. I will serve you in this field. And I I know what you've promised me. And however hot the heat of the day becomes, where I am ready to face it with a smile in my heart, if even not on my face, if the rain descends and the thunder and the lightning and the hail threaten to overcome us, we are prepared to remain in this field that you have placed us in. At the moment we agree to become a follower of Christ, there isn't anything that would cause us to be displeased with the wage that we were promised. The wage, of course, being the forgiveness of our sin and the promise of eternal life in heaven and the, with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and all of our fellow laborers. 
And the wage given to those who came last was the choice of the master of the house, as we've said, and not, not for the laborers. I want to read you this, and then we'll work to our conclusion today. It's found in the New American Commentary. It says, To be sure, every individual will have a highly unique experience before God on Judgment Day. But no text of Scripture supports the notion that these differences are perpetuated throughout eternity. The very nature of grace and perfection preclude such a concept. The reason we object to equal treatment for all is precisely the objection of the workers in this parable. It doesn't seem fair. But we are fools if we appeal to God for justice or fairness rather than grace. For in that case, we'd all be damned. And so, with Jesus, we say the last will be first and the first last This statement, again, seems to imply this thought, the last will be as the first and the first will be as the last. In other words, the condition of those who were last of the vineyard will be the same as the condition of those who were first in the vineyard and vice versa. What should we make of this as we close today? What should we make of this parable as a whole? What should we take away from it so that we might know a little bit more about the kingdom of heaven, we should remember that is always, it is always the benevolence of the master of the house to provide work and wage to any laborer. It's always the result of his benevolence. The master of the house is not indebted to the laborers. He is obliged to be honest, and he is because of who he is, meaning the parable, the master of the house course being God, God is obliged to be honest, and he is because he cannot lie, and thus he always is ready to pay what he agrees to pay, but he is the master, and what he does with what is his is the right of his, not ours. The laborers, what else should we take, should work for however long the master has them in this vineyard and realize that if he remains in the field longer than others, if he faces the heat of the day, and long hours of discomfort, it's not something that grants him greater standing before God or before our fellow laborer. The laborer's joy in his long and difficult service to the master is to be found in his usefulness to the master, not in his wage. The care and maintenance of the vineyard becomes the laborer's passion and drive. His wages are already known and secured. What is right? And a denarius a day. He knows the master will pay him what he has promised to pay when the time comes to receive it, when the day is spent and and the sun is setting and the rewards are handed out and the wages are given. In the meantime, his attention is given fully to the work at hand. This is the mindset we ought to have. There would surely, surely be times when the work became difficult and and the the laborer would think on the wage he was going to receive and and be encouraged. And, And I think that would be fine and right and good. As we labor here on this side of eternity, may we at times perhaps just take a moment, step back and remember to where we're heading and to what we are heading, and most importantly, to whom we are heading. And give us strength again to set our hand back to the task. And that ought to strengthen our resolve. And that is good that we're not to know that we're not working in vain. But then the laborer then as well, as he would look and see maybe others that are struggling, that he might encourage them with that same reminder, keep working. Keep laboring. The wage is secured. We have a promise from the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard. If this is our mindset when we come to our own day of reckoning, if this is how we think about our lives, when it comes time for us to face that moment, we will not be upset or offended because others perhaps did not labor as long as we did or in ways that we had to. In many ways, we will go to him, and I pray as we went to him first, 
knowing how unworthy we are for such a blessing, no matter what service we've given. So where are you in the parable? It's the last thing I want to ask. Still standing in the marketplace? Still standing there? Unwilling to heed the call of the Master? As I said to you earlier, I want to say to you again, late is better than never. And the parable begins again each new day. You'll wake up if God gives you life and the Lord doesn't return. January 17th or 18th, whatever day it is, will come. Tomorrow will come. You'll wake up. And you know what? This parable will start all over again. The master says, come and labor. It'll start all over again. Maybe, though, you're laboring in the vineyard and we're having a hard time of it. I say to you, your, your wage is secure and it's coming soon. And I say to you as well, the parable begins anew each new day. Maybe you are in a moment, in a time in your life when it's going well with you and the Lord. And I pray that that's the case. That you're near to Him. That you're praying to Him. That you're following Him. To you, I say to thank Him today for that. Thank Him for that. Lift your voice and encourage your fellow laborers. And I say to you as well, the parable will start all over again tomorrow. Isn't it amazing? Every 24 hours, we're reminded of beginnings and ends. Every 24 hours. We wake up. The day's new. And the master of the house comes and he says, I have a vineyard. I want you to come work in it. I will pay you what is right. And we will either be like that rich young ruler, as the King James puts it, that young man, as the ESV puts it, and we'll walk away sorrowful. We'll end our day once again with, if not a tear in our eye, a tear in our heart. Or we'll end it knowing that our wage is secure and we were blessed to serve the master in his vineyard. And then it'll start all over again the next day. You won't get saved all over again. Don't misunderstand. But this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, according to the Lord. And we certainly can take his word for it. Pray something that has been said today is a help to you and certainly not a hindrance. If the Lord's dealing with you, we want to encourage you to seek him until you know him, until you find him, until you know that he has given you the promise of heaven and of forgiveness of sin. Let's sing.